You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Crypto jacking apps reappear in Google Play. A brewer's experience with ransomware shows that victims needn't be helpless in the face of extortion. A look at the black market finds that zero-day vendors have grown a lot scarcer on the ground. Google responds a little to concerns about privacy in Chrome login. The U.S. Senate is holding hearings on privacy. Big tech will be there. And are political campaigns slipping into learned helplessness about cybersecurity? From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, September 26th, 2018. Crypto jacking continues to preoccupy cyber criminals. They've succeeded in restocking Google Play with at least 25 crypto mining apps, according to researchers at security firm Sophos. Google has ejected some of the crypto jackers, but not all, and when they finish the purge, others are likely to take their place. Most of the apps use embedded CoinHive code to mine Monero and use the CoinHive servers as well, HackRead reports. But there's some variation. At least one of the unwanted apps uses XMRig, and a few of the CoinHive varieties use other servers, probably to avoid tripping warnings. There are other measures that seem designed to let this malware fly under the detection radar. They limit CPU usage, for one thing, which helps keep the infected device from overheating, its battery from losing its charge suspiciously rapidly. The malicious apps are also observed not to degrade the device's responsiveness too much, which is another sign that might alert a user to a cryptojacking infection. A lot of the crypto mining apps masquerade as games. Others represent themselves as test prep tools. If you're preparing for the LSAT, the SAT, the ACT, the GRE, the MCAT, or even the PSAT, seekest thou else whither, friend? The runner-up in cybercrime remains ransomware. Scotland's Iran Brewery was hit with a targeted version of Dharma BIP ransomware last week. They declined to pay the ransom and have, they say, recovered. The infection vector was an emailed cover letter accompanying a job application, which is the kind of thing that might happen to any organization and implies no particular negligence. Aran's determination not to pay ransomware was good, as was their evident preparation for resilience in the face of this sort of threat. A significant part of their response seems to have involved bringing in security consultants to come up with a decryptor. Of course, the first step in preparing to survive ransomware is regular, secure backup. Iran did better than the city of Atlanta, Georgia, which needed some six months to recover, and has even so left its citizens largely in the dark about what happened and what the remediation cost them. It's worth noting that the cyber black market functions like a market. 
responsive to the pressures of supply and demand that operate in legitimate markets. Consider the black market in zero days, once a thriving trade. But security firm FireEye told Fifth Domain that it's now seeing only a handful of black marketeers selling zero days in black markets. Two causes seem to lie behind this encouraging development. Bug bounties are inducing black hats and gray hats to put on white hats and enter the legitimate market. If you can find a zero day and get paid for disclosing it to the vendor or the user, that's a better and more honest way to make a buck than selling to the Russian mob. And police and prosecutors are getting better at squeezing the black hats. Unscrupulous malware vendors are finding themselves caught, convicted, and jailed at higher rates. In response to user backlash, Google has decided to offer an opt-out for its automatic Chrome login. The incident looks like a misreading of the public mood and a partial walkback. They're offering opt-out, not opt-in. The controversial update to Chrome 64 automatically logs users into the browser whenever they're logged into any other Google service. TechCrunch notes that concerns are that a user's browser history would be automatically folded in with other aspects of a user's Google identity. Google says that won't happen, but people have not been happy. Dinah Davis is vice president of research and development at Arctic Wolf Networks, and she's founder of CodeLikeAGirl.io. She joins me to discuss a recently published Code Like a Girl article written by Glenn Block titled Men. Want to increase diversity in tech? Be a mentor. You know, reaching out and actively trying to be a mentor for women, women of color, all kinds of people. Uh, and he, he talks in this article about how he's done that and, and how it's benefited him. And, you know, it, talk, it talks to some of the women who have, like, benefited from it as well. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a really interesting point, And I think maybe one that we don't think of very often. Certainly there's no shortage of stories about, uh, you know, the women who sort of were the trailblazers uh, when it comes to women in tech and have been, and the importance of mentoring. They, they, they talk about how important it was for them to have good mentors. But then also I think, you know, women mentoring other women, uh, those stories you hear pretty often, but not so much the stories of men intentionally mentoring women. Exactly. I love like that he just puts in like this side note in his article that it's like, it's also vital for women to mentor men as covered in this post, which is another a separate post from uh, Rachel Appel. Um, so he, he he's bringing that aspect in too, right? Like that changes diversity as well. If you're, you know, if you're having men look to women um, in, a, in a place of leadership and mentorship, it changes the dynamic. Um, and it, it also like, you know, if you see that other people see that, that's like, oh yeah, that, that should be the norm. We could, men can mentor women, women can mentor men, can do it the, you know, within the same sex, it doesn't matter. But like making those things the norm is what's so important, right? Yeah. And, and I, I think also just the, the, uh, the notion of having someone uh, with authority, someone with uh, your status within a company, being able to uh, lead that new person around, int- introduce them, make connections I think it has an, an amplification factor to it. It totally does. So, like, I, I'll, I'll share one one story from from this article. You can you can read the article for more details. But one day he he got this message from a lady that he'd been mentoring, and she said, I "Have some news. I was extended a job offer and accepted it for a product manager manager position. Our calls definitely helped me influence landing that offer." 
And about four months before they'd met on a Slack channel, I think there's like a mentorship Slack channel that he's part of. Hmm. And they chatted on Slack, they chatted on Zoom, they never met in person, but they talked about product management and her goals in product management. That gave her, helped her give more confidence when looking for a job and knowing what to do. Um, it made a huge difference for her. So that there's like one thing where like, even if that was the only person he mentored, he made it an impact, but he's doing this with multiple women. The other great part of this article is he talks about how to get started, right? So you, you might want to help and you just like have no idea. You don't want to just walk up to some random woman and say, Hey, can I mentor you? Right. Because that wouldn't be awkward at all. Yeah. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. so he's like, so here's, you know, there's like, there's groups, right? You can join women who code, mind the product, Slack channels. They're, they're out there code. Like a girl has a Slack channel. We also have a Facebook group. You can join and find people. And just, you know, when people are asking questions, you start answering them and building relationships with them. Right. So I like that. He, he didn't just say, Hey, you should do this, but he said, Hey, you should do this. And here's some tips on how you can. Right. All right. Well, the article, uh, it's on codelikeagirl.io, and it's uh, men want to increase diversity in tech? Be a mentor. Check it out. As always, Dinah Davis, thanks for joining us. The U.S. Senate is holding hearings today on privacy and big tech, which fears an American GDPR, is taking them seriously. Google, represented by an empty chair at the last round of hearings where the senators heard from both Facebook and Twitter, will be there this time and a sufficiently senior executive will be there to represent Mountain View. The company's chief privacy officer, Keith Enright, will appear. In a prepared statement released in advance of the Senate Commerce Committee, Enright said in part, quote, We acknowledge that we have made mistakes in the past, from which we have learned, and improved our robust privacy program, end quote. He also said, CRN reports, quote, with advertising, as with all our products, users trust us to keep their personal information confidential and under their control. We do not sell personal information, period. End quote. Other companies testifying include Amazon, AT&T, and Apple. Amazon intends to make it clear that regulation comes with costs. Their prepared remarks note that GDPR, quote, required us to divert significant resources to administrative and record-keeping tasks, and away from inventing new features for customers. End quote. Twitter will be there too, urging that we get together to develop a robust privacy framework that protects individual rights while preserving the freedom to innovate. Concerns about a U.S. version of GDPR aren't idle. Breaches, extensive data collection, and privacy concerns have increased congressional appetite for regulation. As Senate Commerce Committee Chair John Thune, a Republican of South Dakota, told The Hill, the lawmakers are interested in seeing how consumer protection might best be made a matter of law, especially since it seems that industry may be proving itself incapable of self-regulation. The executive departments are also looking in that direction. Commerce, in particular, is looking into lessons that GDPR might hold for privacy regulation on this side of the Atlantic. Justice is also holding its own listening campaign with a view to formulating a position on consumer protection online. As U.S. midterm elections approach, state and federal officials are talking and seem to be doing a great deal about securing voting systems. The political campaigns themselves, however, seem to be a different kettle of fish, according to a story in The Olympian. 
A lot of them appear to be sliding into learned helplessness about their own data and communications. It's difficult and expensive to secure things, so maybe they should hope for the best. Expect some doxing, unwelcome enforced transparency, at least as the campaigns enter their endgames. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot slash cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Dr. Charles Clancy. He's the executive director of the Hume Center for National Security and Technology at Virginia Tech. Dr. Clancy, welcome back. Um, I saw a story come by recently about uh, Virginia Tech partnering with a startup called Deep Sig and uh, involved with uh, protecting wireless devices. Can you sort of uh, walk us through uh, how does, uh, how does a, a company that uh, spins off from a university like Virginia Tech, how does that process work? So this particular company was based around the PhD dissertation uh, of one of my students. Um, and it's some really interesting research. Basically, what he showed in his dissertation is that uh, the whole concept of, uh, of software-defined radio, uh, where you uh, essentially take the different functions of a, of a wireless device and map them into to, to software blocks and wire them together, much in the same way that you would wire together uh, analog circuits in, a, in an analog radio was uh, sort of unnecessarily constraining. And basically what he showed is that you could train a deep learning neural network uh, to do that same task. And not only would it perform the task better, but it would do so with significantly increased efficiency uh, over the traditional algorithms. 
And the applications in the space are, are significant from uh, sophisticated spectrum sensing technologies to uh, building wireless communication systems on the fly that are uniquely tailored for their RF environment. This particular uh, project that we're collaborating on now is focused on using these same techniques to recognize anomalies in the wireless environment uh, and being able to, to use that to inform uh, some sort of cybersecurity sensor. And so can you describe to us uh, the importance uh, for the university to, to support these startups? I mean, as, as part of the overall ecosystem, uh, this is a, a nurturing function that the university has? Uh, exactly. So there's uh, a couple different ways to think about university research. Uh, oftentimes, university research will just end in the publication of a, of a, of a paper at a conference or a journal. Hmm. We often try to find uh, other customers for that technology, whether it's the government agencies that may have, have funded the work um, or identify ways that we can spin those off into startup companies. Um, and it's not so much about potential royalties for the university, uh, because pretty much every university loses money on their licensing arm, hmm. uh, but it's about getting that technology out in the world and having it make, an, make a difference, both in terms of impacting the field, uh, but also supporting economic development for the region. Dr. Charles Clancy, thanks for joining us. Thanks a lot. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow.